Whoa, get it. Hey, please don't worry, let me. Hey, run inside the shit, I need a SB. No scan, trying, no test me. Hey, self defense, no wrestling. Oh, book a seat on the nigga here. Huh. I make money disappear. Huh. Back up, camera, see me in the rear. Uh, back up, bad thing you lack, huh? Hey, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett, act up, huh? We ain't swabbing and get tactical. Tell us like your Wayne car. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever you got going on in your lives. This is Xavier Bonner, and here and now I have a special guest, my boy, Quentin Rashawn Bubb from Stanford University. It's graduate gang. You already know what's going on. Quentin is from Brooklyn, New York. He is a second-year MD-PhD student at Stanford University. Yes, I said it, Stanford. He's the (laughs) shit. Stanford University School of Medicine. There, he's pursuing a PhD in stem cell biology and regenerative medicine and is broadly interested in hematology, I hope I said that right, and oncology. (laughs) Previously, he studied biophysics. Oh, look at that. I'm a biophysics cat, not even candidate yet, but student. (laughs) He studied biophysics at Johns Hopkins and the University of Cambridge. Is that in England? Yeah, it is. Cambridge, England, yeah. And uh, spent some time in biotech venture capital to learn about translational medicine and clinical development. Given the lack of people of color in the training and practicing pipeline of, physis- of physician scientists, Quinston also has been working on network development and mentoring for budding medical scientists. So with all of these credentials, <laughs> I want to know, Quentin... How the fuck you be doing this shit, man? How you be doing this, bro? <laughs> That's quite an impressive uh, resume you thus far, you know. So what I want to ask you is, you know, what's your story, bro? What's your story? I mean, it really, I feel like you could answer that question in you know, a hundred ways. Um, people, I could, I could start from like the, you know, the OD beginning, <laughs> or you know, give give a quick spiel. But like, I think the the, the simple answer is that you know, I've always been interested in um, science and medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. They came here in like the early 80s. So they, so they uh, came to New York City in the early 80s. Okay, what, and, what um, part of the Caribbean? Oh, they're from uh, Grenada. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. that's what's up, bro. That's yeah. what's up. So they had the, you know, the cute little story where they you know, found love. Uh, 13, <laughs> like that. And my mom came uh, when she was around 18 and told my, my dad that, you know, I'll wait for you, like, you know, come through when you can. And I uh, came through. They got married. Uh, I had my brother. I had one brother. Uh, he's born in 1989 and I was born in 94. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was a nurse. So she came here uh, through a program where essentially you could, like, get uh, education and be a nurse in New York City. And uh, I think this is, like, very similar to, like, a pipeline program to get more black folk, like, on the scene in New York. That was, like, you know. That was all the problem in the eighties mm. and nineties. Okay. Um, okay. So in the but the in the back in my mind, uh, she, I always have her voice telling me like really age, like you know, I grew up as a black woman in this country, uh, you know, making my career and stuff, and you're a black man, and like you you have some privileges that I don't. So you got OSHA always put your best foot forward and you know try to think about this medicine thing seriously because you know you get a science and stuff like that. So that's always been in the back of my head, and in um in high school. I don't know. Do you do you know a show called Fringe? 
Friends? Fringe. Uh, F-R-I-N-G-E. Fringe. No, I haven't heard of that, bro. What's that? Nah, nah. nah just like this, like, nerdy, like, science show. It's like a mixture of, like, Law and Order mm-hmm. and, like, uh, I guess, like, some kind of, like, sci-fi thing, like X-Files. Yeah, it's, it's like, a, like a mixture of X-Files and Law and Order. Mm-hmm. And basically, like, what, like, really wild shit would happen in Fringe, like, but all of the wild stuff is, like, based in, like, some kind of, like, theoretical, like, science or biophysics. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what got me first thinking about, like, whoa, like, you could do math on, like, biology? Like, what? Right, that, yeah. That makes... <laughs> Dude, um, that's crazy. When I had the same experience, like, when I figured out that, you know, you can intertwine mathematics and biology, that just blew my mm-hmm. mind. I, it opened up a new world for me. That's what's up. Yeah, so when I, when I figured that out was a thing, uh, I realized that in high school that, like, all my biology classes had no physics, no math, no equations, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of my uh, physics classes had no biology. So I was kind of, like, very broadly interested in, like, well, like, what is there? Is there a connection here? Does it exist? So I literally went on Google and typed in, like, biology and physics programs when I was looking at colleges and stuff. And the top hit that came up was John Hopkins. Mm. Um, and that's pretty much put on the radar for me. Got um, you, got you. So when when did you discover that you had a, a gift for medicine and science? It was in high school that you discovered you had the gift? Like, was there a distinct nah, moment nah. that you were like, oh, I'm good? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, uh, I'm not sure if I ever had, like, a wake-up moment like that where I was like, yo, I can actually do this. But I think, uh, when I, like, my earliest memory of me thinking about shit, like, critically, mm-hmm. uh, I think I was maybe, like, six or seven years old. And I was playing in front, of, like the like uh, in front of my door, um, or rather, like you know, like the when you walk into the house and there's like that area with all the shoes and shit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. vestibule, or, yeah, I don't know what all that stuff. The mud, but, um, the mud room or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember one particular time there was like the sun was shining through like you know that little window that some doors have at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some roof type yeah. thing. Yeah, so the sun was shining through that shit. And um, you ever see, like, those, like, dust particles, like, floating in the air? Oh, yeah. And on the sun, yeah. So I remember looking at that and be like, damn, like, how how much do these things weigh that they could just, like, float in the air like that? Like, like <laughs> Dang, bro, you was five or six things from that? That's crazy. <laughs> so I run my hand through You run your hand through it and you see them, like, move around and stuff. And then nothing, like, nothing else in the house moved that way like i remember like looking at the carpet trying to like find some like dust and feathers and stuff and put in the air and nothing would stay afloat like that so that was always i remember being so <laughs> looking at these things like yo what is happening here? yo you was c- curious bro at a young age that's that's crazy man that's actually yeah. crazy so i think but the thing, the thing is that like i was trash at math mm-hmm. like i was all high school basically because like my k-8 school like it was, it was solid, but, like, they kind of just, like, babied us through stuff just to, like, hit the um, benchmarks on, like, the state exams and stuff. So I never really, like, thought about math that hard. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I hit high school, I got bodied my freshman year. <laughs> and um, I remember looking at the um, the square root sign, and, like, the teacher, she'd always say, like, the radical. Um, and, like, it took me, like, six months to be like, yo, the radical's the same thing as the square root sign? <laughs> <laughs> How far I had to push it. <laughs> yeah, bro. That's that's so crazy because most of the people that I know who are in positions like us, you know, they um they have like they share similar stories. Like they were not always gifted with this ability to, you know, um 
be able to do this intrinsically. But, you know, it's through countless hours of just meditation and trying to understand and speak the language of mathematics and speak the language of biology, speak the language of chemistry. And so that in itself is a skill, you know what I'm saying, that you like notice, like you notice that you have a, a learning gap, right, that you have not fulfilled and you go after it. Yeah, that's what's up, bro. That's what's up. Those are facts. Those are, those are straight facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like how you brought the meditation aspect of it because, like, I, I think we really, like, underestimate how much extra time we're putting into that stuff in comparison to our peers and these kinds of bases. Um, and, and as a result, like, I, I'm, like, very thankful for that, you know, trying to, like, having to grind that hard. But it was, it was definitely a long road for me to, like, be comfortable just, like, going up to any, like, board or, like, even on a piece of paper, like, writing an equation down, like, being comfortable saying, like, okay, I know what this means. I know, I understand what it implies. And I could, like, you know, take this to the next level. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think like, you know, similarly to a lot of people, I just had, like, a lot of, like, I was very lucky to have some good mentors that, like, kind of just, like, trusted me to perform, essentially. Um, and I was, like, I feel very incredibly lucky for that. Mm-hmm. And um, that, and that like, was very important for me when I was, uh, when I got started at Johns Hopkins because, like, it was that similar transition from, you know, eighth grade to high school happened exact same way when I went from high school to college. First semester, embodied. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So in college at Johns Hopkins, like when did you did you or did you already have your first research experience before college, like your first like in lab you know biophysics research experience, or did you start off with biophysics? Talk me through that. Yeah, of course, of course. So um, at Hopkins, like you no, know, you choose a major and then you get assigned like a advisor in that major. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So after, uh, pretty much around like December-ish, January-ish of my uh, freshman year, I spoke to my advisor and she was like the head of the biophysics department, um, or at least the head of like the advising for the undergrads in the biophysics department. She's like, yo, like, have you ever done research? And I was like, no, what's that? Like, I mean, I, I did research. <laughs> like, uh, I might look stuff up. And she's like, you know, you, you, you might have some potential. So like, you should think about like, you know, this summer doing some research and like getting into the lab and like, you know, doing like actual experiments and stuff. So she put me on to this program um, that was essentially uh, run, um, it was like a, a, essentially like a pipeline program for underrepresented minorities where you applied to it. And this is like a biophysics, like intensive seminar course that happened at um, UNC Chapel Hill. Wow, so, that's so crazy. I think we did the same program, bro. <laughs> wait, no, for real? Wait, what's yeah. you do? Okay, so did you do the biophysics summer research program in Chapel Hill? I did, I did. That's so crazy. We did, you you were here. You, oh man, we just connected wait, on some crazy. Wait, so you're talking about this is the one with uh, Barry Lentz and Mike. Barry Lentz Jarsford? and Lisa. Yep, Mike Jarsford. Oh. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> All those names are throwbacks for me, man. Throwbacks, man, man. That's so crazy. See, you know, UNCB be giving and showing underrepresented students the way. I'm not yep. gonna lie. I'm yep. not gonna yep. lie to you. I did spend some time out in Stanford as an undergrad as well, but we could talk about that more later. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, sh- keep going with your biophysics experience, your summer research experience. Yeah, so I did that program and um, I got placed in um, Saskia and Nair's group. Um, right. And uh-huh. she's, she's the one that introduced, introduced us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, I was, and I worked with, I was lucky to have my first scientific mentor be a black man. Um, wow. And yeah. Yeah, That's so dope. Yeah, his name is Ryan Garrett. 
Uh, Bro, you know uh, Brian? Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> this is so funny. Continue, please. I went to Morehouse. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> small world. This is small, really small world. But yeah, so yeah, Brian put me on to like, you know, I remember when he when he taught me how to pipette, like, <laughs> I remember being so shook that this this is like an actual thing, like, damn, like, micro leaders? Like, I don't even know how much is no leader. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to two leaders, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, so I worked on a, um, a protein project there uh, at that time. Um, well, I guess now still even uh, Dr. Nair uh, works on lipases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, we worked on um, a lipase thought to be important for t- tuberculosis um, virulence, essentially, and pathogenicity. So essentially, my project was very simple. You know, we had this protein, we were able to purify it, and um, I was screening like a, a set of drug targets again this against that protein, and like figuring out like how fast it bound, like whether or not it was like an irreversible binder or a mm-hmm. reversible binder. Competitive, um, competitive, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole, the whole spiel. Um, so that was like, that was like a really solid starting project. Cause like I learned pretty much, you know, the protein purification, protein purification process, like mini preps, um, like, uh, analyzing like chromatograms, looking at spectroscopic data. So like, it was like a really cool, like introduction for me into like what research entails. Um, so, that, so I think, I think that was like the proper beginning, beginning to my research career. Mm. And so when did you realize like. Well, it was it this experience that you realized like, like yo, I can do this at the next level. Yeah, basically, basically. Okay. Um, yeah, earlier uh, that year, I think maybe the May or um, April before I started there, I saw this talk by um, an MD PhD, where I, and that and they essentially spoke about like you know what they do and how they do it, and at the end of it, he's like, yeah, like you guys could go enter the MD PhD program fully funded like you do research you get a phd and you move on i'm like wait 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> free and paid um, yeah I, I get to be paid to do research that's dope and see patients like mm. let me figure out if like this research thing is like for me mm-hmm. so after that summer um i knew that pretty much like i was about it and um the rest uh, kind of just fell into place wow. after that so after freshman year you made the conscious decision to dedicate a large chunk, because we're talking that eight eight years right for MD PhD mm-hmm. on top of mm-hmm. the four years uh, for college. You take four years or five years or six years? Yeah, yeah, I did three and a half. Three, but yeah, basically Ooh, shit. four. Yeah. Okay, you did three and a half. So you're doing uh, dedicating uh, essentially twelve or eleven or wait, I'm do my math right? Yeah, eleven and a half mm-hmm. years to um, yep. to school. Okay, that's what's up, bro. That's an extremely dedicated. You're an extremely dedicated man. Right. It is. It is. I, I'm, I really appreciate the words that you're using here. <laughs> I, <laughs> the got quality of that I got you. You know, we got to build each other up. So no, uh, before facts. we continue with your story, I want to bring in another story that I recently saw. And I really want I want to hear your reaction to this, um, this latest finding in the news. So seven year old boy had 526, 526 teeth removed from his mouth yes uh so the unusual surgery was performed at savetha dental college and hospital in shanghai i don't know if i'm saying that shanghai india the boy was brought to the hospital with swelling in the lower right jaw and he was found to be suffering from compound composite undontome i don't know if i'm saying that either 
this is, these are all medical terms, so I apologize. <clears throat> and so uh, he was taken to the hospital for a swollen jaw at the age of three, but he refused. Uh, but he refused to cooperate for any investigative procedures at the time. I'm assuming that means his parents were like, nah, like, I think he's okay. Um, so yeah, his jaw yeah. was swollen and they initially thought that uh, the parents thought that it might be cancer in his jaw. So the doctors decided to operate. And what they found was what was described as a bag like mass, which was removed in its entirety. And according to the press release, the sack weighed almost half a pound and inside 526 teeth like structures were fine, ranging from one millimeter to 15 millimeters. Right. And so basically they uh, opened this Pandora box of miniature teeth. Right. (laughs) That is sufficiently wild. It's sufficiently wild. Crazy. I don't know what's going on in India, but I don't know if we have anything like that here. And if if you're curious, people, I'm looking at the teeth and they organize the teeth in a Fibonacci sort of like uh, orientation <laughs> where the smaller smile. teeth are in the middle of the circle and it just builds out. So what what do you make of this, bro? What do you make of this? Have you heard of any type of ailment like this before? Honestly, like when you when you when you really think about like how much is required in order for us to like, you know, properly develop into the creatures that we know recognize now. It's insane how much, uh, it's insane that this doesn't happen more often. Mm. Yeah. So like thing, thing, things like this are like really, really odd, but when you really think about it, like when you ask, ask a question like, you know, how, how do teeth develop or like why do teeth develop? No, I don't know how much te- how many teeth we have. What, like 20, 32? Yeah, like 30, that? 32, I believe you're correct. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty, you know, conserved number between people. Like, you know, what <clears throat> genes or like, you know, expression profiles like or instructions like lead to that particular number. And when you ask yourself, like, how many things have to go wrong for that number to not be correct? There are probably like, you know, hundreds, thousands of things that could go wrong mm-hmm. uh, for that to be true. Yeah, so my 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 initial impression to that is like you know Murphy's law, especially when it applies to science and medicine. Like if, if it could happen, <laughs> it <yeah>. will. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's funny as hell. Oh, that's an interesting take. Um, and but even some tumors, um, <clears throat> like in the that could appear in the gut or the brain or um, in muscle, like it could that those tumors could ex- like express any kind of tissue that's found in the human body. So there are even some tumors out there that have some teeth in them. Uh, what or like hair or yeah essentially if you really think about it like you know the cells just go awry and like especially with this like stem cell stuff that you see recently where you could take you know a skin cell and turn it into like a a stem cell Mm -hmm. it's essentially implying that every single cell in the body has the potential to be any other cell Mm -hmm. so if you have Mm -hmm. a cancer that's like you know where like the cells are kind of going awry then it could become anything at once uh given the right conditions right so Mm -hmm. that's why you wild stuff inside these tumors too so that's interesting you said that because you you meant i know this is your 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 jam stem cells but i recently read a paper from a harvard scientist i'm not sure what his name is but he basically was trying to predict the trajectory of how different cell type different stem cells were going to differentiate and he did it across various different um, organisms like he did frogs humans and so on and so forth and he all uh, he he clustered those um, 
pluripotent cells together and he mapped their differentiation. So essentially what he's doing is calculating and predicting the trajectory that, uh, you know, a frog stem cell is going to differentiate into an eyeball cell. You know what I'm saying? And so you find you would, from this data, you would find like the populations kind of um, cluster into certain uh, areas but then you see yeah. begin to see some overlap between two distinct clusters. So interesting. That what I'm trying to say is that uh, to your point, I certainly can see how two distinct clusters that emerge and you know, uh, kind of like an outlier that's kind of far between those two clusters, mm-hmm. kind of differentiate into like a mix of exactly. pancreas yeah. cell slash hair cell, like you were just talking about. So that's, I never put it together like that. That's hella interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about the fact that like, you know, all the cells in our body have the same instructions, like, you know, they all, they all have the same map. It's just a matter of who's doing what, when, right. Mm-hmm. So the, is I, I agree with you hundred um, percent. These things could happen the way they do, especially it's not surprising that there's actually some overlap in the way some of these cells, like, Mm. take these trajectories absolutely um, absolutely but my my big issue with the stem cell field and i, I suppose this is a, a problem with biology period is that um the way we identify and like characterize these cells right so like you know that that the same i think about is like you know if it looks like a cat and meows like a cat it's a cat right mm-hmm. so like when we look at these cells like we say okay this thing expresses you know this on the surface and that on the surface and then so we're, we're going to call it that right but there are you know, hundreds of different other things that it could be, but it's just, it just coincidental that, you know, some large percentage of these things just have these two things. Um, or you just look at it from like the gene expression profile, you know, what genes do, what, what like minimum number of genes you need in order for something to be a certain thing. Um, there's like a lot of disagreement. We actually like look into the data on like what these cell types actually are because there's a lot of heterogeneity between like, you know, even, even like, I, like, a, like hematopoietic stem cells there are many, many different like classes of them in terms of like what things they express, but they're all, you know, CD34 positive, right? That's the way medicine looks like it. Um, but there's like a very large number of things that are kind of in between that we don't really know much about, but we still consider them the same and we don't really have the data to prove that. Mm. I, it, I think, I think the field needs like a lot. The field really needs like more like rigorous or like exhaustive, um, uh, means to like identify like what is what or it may not even be possible it could just be like no my early ignorance in coming to this field but um, yeah. or the, more we, the more we know about how like heterogeneous these like cell types, cell types actually are the like, assumptions we make about what they actually do Skirt, skirt. 
So I want to go back to um, what you were saying uh, after your after your UNC uh, summer research opportunity. That's when you knew you were going to dedicate much of your time to what you're currently doing right now. Yep, and yep. so after that summer transpired, what else did what else happened? I see you have University of Cambridge on your resume. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that pathway? Yeah, yeah. So um, after I got back from UNC Chapel Hill, I was like, damn, like I got to you know get back into the lab. So I ended up joining the advisor who recommended me to that program. I ended up joining her lab. Um, and like at that time, I, and this is like, I'm, I feel very lucky that I learned this lesson early on, but basically, um, right after my summer, I realized that like, you know, the science is like all cool and all, but it's secondary to the actual mentor. Right. So mm. I ended up, I went back to my university. I realized that, you know, this, this person name is uh, Dr. Karen Fleming, that she was you know, dope and she worked on some set of things. Those things were mildly interesting, interesting to me at the time, but I really, I really was into her mentorship. So I joined that group. Um, and I was like, I was decently successful there. Uh, we, I was there for like, you know, two to two and a half years. And then, uh, I was also doing decently well in my classes at that time. Cause I, you know, I came correct after my, <laughs> after uh, getting bodied, you had to come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And l- luckily at Hopkins are, this used to be the case. This is no, the case but uh your first semester is pass fail um so like they know that people are gonna you when you get started so they're like yo like no take your l's <laughs> figure out what you gotta do and then when the spring semester starts like y'all you're all on your own so that's, learn quick. that's a great strategy man. yeah that they got rid of it though America. they got rid of it that's crazy yeah. why do you know why they got rid of it Essentially, um, it was for multiple reasons, but they found that people were not using it the way it's supposed to be used. So some people would essentially just like load up on all their hardest classes in that mm. semester and then not have to worry about it because like no one could see the grade. Mm. Um, just wanted to make people take it, things more seriously earlier on. And there are other reasons too, but that was the one that was most. Uh, <laughs> see, my ass is thinking like, people got around it by you know just bullshitting their way through their current classes but y'all smart motherfuckers are like yeah we're gonna load up this is before even like your first week of college first yep. like advisement week like motherfuckers was really in the summer of graduation of 12th grade like yo i'm gonna take the <laughs> hardest shit fucking possible and fit pass but obviously my grades don't matter y'all motherfuckers smart yeah, shit some people are scheming early <laughs> i feel like some people are scheming since like you know ninth grade like yo i'm gonna go to johns hopkins you know do pass fail real quick yeah. <laughs> i'm telling you motherfuckers be smart nowadays okay yep. that makes sense all right all right cool cool so this yeah. is you did two so did, years research mm-hmm. go ahead yeah, so i did really well in my classes research was productive um and i had the opportunity to apply to um a few like scholarships that allow you to go to the uk and um, study wherever you want, essentially. So I applied to the um, Marshall Scholarship, which allows you to go to the UK, any university in the UK for one or two years. Um, and uh, so I chose University of Cambridge. Um, <clears throat> and I studied um, biophysical chemistry there, and I got a master's in that. So, so this was the year after you? I graduated. So at this point, I was uh, 22, 22 slash 23. Did you start college um, like when you were 19? Yeah, 18. Yeah, I was okay. 18 when I started. Yeah. Got you, got you. Okay. Oh, I see, I see. You graduated 
in three and a half. Then you did your that master's program. Got you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there I continued doing like more protein folding stuff. At the same time, uh, I was applying to MD PhD programs. Um, so that's that's how that that re- that early research track record really got started. Damn man, that's beautiful, bro. And just can you, can you state your ethnicity? Oh, I'm black as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> My nigga. Okay, that's lit, bro. That is lit. That is so lit. See, audience, we're out here, man. We're out here progressing. We're out here shining. We're catching up to the standard curve of whoever the fuck is in science. You know, we're gonna be there one day, sitting at the table, and that's all we need is a seat at the table so that we can see the next generation of scholars come in and build upon what we have done. It's all about yep. building. That's amazing, bro. Okay, let me bring another. Uh, since we're talking about, since I'm talking to a future, future medical um, leader, change agent, I want to talk about this. So Japanese scientists wants to grow human organs in animal embryos. Okay, so this work is significant because of its perilous ethical territory, as well as its political background. In March, Japan's Education and Science Ministry made the controversial move to reverse a decision to ban the growth of animal embryos that contain human cells past 14 days or transplanting those embryos into surrogates. And so lead researcher Hiromitsu Nakauchi, I don't know what the fuck his name is. Okay. You read about this guy? Is he at Stanford? No, I think he's in Japan. I think he's in Japan. Or no, University of Tokyo. University of Tokyo. So Japan um, has already genetically modified rats and mice to not grow a pancreas. So this le- this researcher has already modified rats to not grow a pancreas. And next, his team will try to place human stem cells in fertilized eggs of those animals to enable them to grow a pancreas again. So that's wild. So this goal is to one day grow human organs inside pigs or sheep responding to a shortage of organs available for transplantation all right i know this is your jam so i definitely want to hear what you think bro (laughs) man there there's a lot that could be said about this um but but first i want to just like comment that transplant medicine is racist as fuck (laughs) like do you (laughs) not many people realize this um so the vast majority of people don't know this until they need a transplant essentially so let's say I'm a black individual and I need a kidney transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's say I don't have a sibling. Um, and why is that important? It's because that in order to, ha- your ideal match is most likely to be a sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, half match is a parent and someone who's completely unmatched is someone who's just sort of random, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, ideally you, have, you need somebody who's kind of related to you to get like a good transplant from them. Um, so if I'm a black person, I need a kidney transplant. I don't have uh, a sibling and my parents are, you know, unable to give me the transplant. I have to go on the donor list or, or the, the, I have to look for, look on the donor list to get a kidney. Right. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the, uh, the, the, the donor list is mostly white. So that means that there's actually an extremely small likelihood that someone has like related enough genes to you to give you uh, a, a transplant for no reason other than the fact that the number of donors on a list is just mostly white. Mm-hmm. So if you 
are a non-white individual in the United States looking for a transplant, it's more difficult for you to get one only because the, the donor list is not representative of your race slash ethnicity, not because of like some actual hurdle and you getting that transplant. Mm. Um, so so are, the, are black people not organ donors on average? Yeah, on average, definitely not. Um, they're vastly underrepresented both on the donor list and in like clinical trials and things like that. Um, and that's mostly historical, you know, the for very good reasons black people do not trust uh, yeah i was gonna say man every time i go to dmv nope fuck you sorry (laughs) go all right continue bro yeah yeah so it's it's a it's a massive issue um and like essentially in order to get around this you just need to like you know essentially like patient advocacy and education and like build rebuilding trust with the community in order to like allow for the things to be possible but essentially the powers that be don't put enough effort into doing those things. So by the time any person of color needs a transplant, they don't get it. Um, so I bring up the, I bring this up because things like the research that they're doing in Japan is a potential like solution to this problem. Mm, it's so, a solution. Yeah, yeah. So instead of having to worry about, um, you know, you having high likelihood of either a sibling or someone who's like a very close match to you giving you the donor. What if you just took, what if I just took some of your cells and was able to grow you that organ and you would not have to worry about somebody like a whole ass other person giving you that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that can potentially make it more equitable. Um, at the end of the day, the animals will be the ones taking the L. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Which we already but- slaughtered. Exactly. Tens of thousands of millions of animals daily yeah, and consume yeah. them at a disadvantage to our health. So, yep. Wow. Yeah. And God knows how many mice have been killed in the name of science. Like, <laughs> I, I actually tried to calculate this number. It has to be like, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like the yeah. high hundreds of billions. Because <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the billions. Because, you know, I feel I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'll throw that out there. I'm not going to explain that. <laughs> I think that the government has been operating on mice probably before we even started to do it at institutions. I, no, I think that's that. actually, I, I think that's a fair, I, 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 I get behind that. That makes sense. Okay. okay. It's rational, right? Yeah. Rational. You know, they're just rational. Is- Graduate gang is <laughs> rational. <laughs> this is sort of random, but um, oil companies, for example, started doing research on climate change before anybody started doing research on climate change. Isn't that crazy? I can totally believe that because they <laughs> wanted to know who the people who are going to doubt them, who are going to try to undercut them, who are naysayers to their cause, which is making fucking bank. You know, yep. they probably were like, shit, we, we need to get ahead of this. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when people talk about this, they're like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I, I we had no idea. <laughs> but <laughs> That's not knew, crazy. Yeah, yeah. They knew it since like the 60s, mm-hmm. which is wild. And they've yeah, been keeping uh, quiet. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the, there are some, like, also some serious ethical concerns and, like, how we could regulate growing these organs. But, you know, truthfully, like, we're, we're still a really, really long way from that ever, like, ever being, like, a possible transplantable thing into a human being. Why do you uh, think we're so far away? So, currently, the, the most tractable um, organ slash uh, cell or, like, tissue type that we could reliably grow in an animal and potentially put back into human is blood that's pretty much the mm-hmm. that's like what we're really good at right now mm-hmm. um and even that's not that good um mm-hmm. in order to, 
in order to grow an organ, first of all, we have to figure out, you know, how organs are, are grown in like humans, <laughs> which we still don't really understand. So oh, even if sure. we put it into an animal, uh, we don't know like which or like how many uh, stem cells of that nature need to be present in the animal or to, to give a viable organ. We don't know if that uh, that organ can like maintain its like, you know, uh, immune profile such that if you put it into a human being, mm-hmm. it will still be like acceptable. Um, we don't know uh, like how strong these organs might be because we, assu- we assume that they'll still be like, you know, as good or better, but it could be worse. Um, so there's like a whole lot of validation that needs to be done on that. And that's, I, w- I would predict that's like a 30 year problem. Uh, I would bet that it will take about, you know, for about 40 years in order for those kinds of methods to be like translated into the clinic even longer, even um, depending on like how politics go because, you know, stem cell science is still not widely accepted throughout the world. Mm. That's why. Yeah. See, yeah, I, you know, I've heard of obviously like when we put transplant tumors into mice, you know, mm-hmm. since the mice are humanized, sometimes uh, T cells attack the the source sometimes they don't so exactly exactly uh, um yeah i definitely i can definitely see that being yeah but we, we need to do the the work needs to be done though because uh the organ shortage is real and um is disproportionately affecting you know the most more marginalized people i consider all efforts to make that more equitable worth looking into absolutely yeah i totally agree man that's an interesting point of view that's very interesting so this is this is your your future home as a researcher. So you said you're interested. I know you said you're interested in oncology. I actually don't mm-hmm. know what hematology is. That's blood work or something. What yeah. yeah so hematology is just, you know, study of blood diseases. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Study and treatment of blood diseases. So these include things like sickle cell. Uh, there's a whole bunch of anemias. Um, uh, there's like one uh, kind of uh, uh, hemato- hematology disorder where like you, if you like get a cut, you won't stop bleeding. Um, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are all like hematological disorders, and then um, on and oncology is like study of cancers, and um, oftentimes the two overlap. So if you have say like a leukemia, that's both a hematological disorder and an an onco- oncological disorder. Mm. Yeah. So okay. I'm interested. In, so I'm on the hematology, and I'm mostly interested in things like sickle cell, because um, I'm I myself am a my half half of my family has been killed due to sickle cell. I don't carry the trait, but that's always been something of deep interest to me. And I think that you know, stem cell and stem cell regenerative medicine has like a lot of value to add in that space. So that's sort of where I see myself in the future. Hmm. Salute, bro. So is that how you got interested in that type of research? It is. It is actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of a lot of people also don't know that. Uh, we've we've known the the cure for sickle cell for about forty years. Um, the oh, you sound like 80s. a fellow conspiracy theorist. Okay, <laughs> no, nah, these are facts. These are facts. These are facts. But yeah, the... conspiracies can be facts too. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I can't. I can't. I can't fault you on that. <laughs> um, yeah. So in the in the eighties, it was shown that you could cure sickle cell by doing a bone marrow transplant. So mm-hmm. if you have a matched donor, if you clear out the person with sickle cell's immune system. Give a, a give the stem cells of another individual who doesn't have sickle cell, um, like engraft, and they successfully you know, you know uh, go into the person and don't cause any problems, and the person's cured of their disease. And we've known this uh, since the mid to early '80s. The reason why this is not something that's commonly done is because bone marrow transplants are trash <laughs> at the moment. Um, 
What do you mean trash? Like they're not good? Like they're they're they very they're really sick. They're if you're really sick, um the the process of getting a transplant itself could kill you. Um because essentially in order to get the transplant, you have to take chemo. Um the chemo like wipes out your immune system. But if you're already sick, if you take chemo on top of that, like you could die in the process. Um mm. you get infections, you get uh cancers, uh so is is it's usually not recommended for sickle cell patients to get unless there's really really severe disease. Um, so that's pretty much why it's not like sort of like a standard treatment. But nowadays we have like more um, less like dangerous means of clearing out the person's immune system. So it's it's like pretty much highly likely that sickle cell might be a a very easily curable disease in say you know twenty or thirty years. Damn. Yeah. That's wild as fuck. I did not know that, bro. So yeah, it's you, crazy. Do you, you think that this is me and my uh, delinquent friends talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that we have cures to diseases that people say we don't have cures for? For example, cancer. Obviously, everybody's heard of cancer. Mm. You know, do you think we have an actual antibody or actual uh, cure that? You know, as a one-time, okay, let me go in, take this medicine, I'm good now. Nah, I don't. Why not? Um, so I, I'm gonna I'm put on my biophysics hat and and basically <laughs> bring up Murphy's law again, right? So, what what is cancer? Cancer is a probabilistic occurrence of you know aberrant cell growth that happens inside you know a cell system, right? So. If you think about it, um, we humans didn't always get cancers. Like we didn't, most people didn't die by them. Like you know, in the BC age, like we we get cancer, we see cancers now because we're old. And the reason why uh, you get cancers to begin with is because like over time the DNA breaks down, um, the DNA repair mechanisms get all kind of funky. So errors happen, and these will happen one way or another. And to my knowledge, it's impossible to create a cyst like a biological system that has no error in it right so even if we figure out like you know how to cl- how to cure cancers that we know today that doesn't mean that like you know eventually we'll have cancers that we don't know have like you no know, treatments for because if you if you push the bar on like uh how long we live then essentially you're opening yourself up to new to new problems so i consider cancer to be like one of those things that is sort of like unavoidable um, we have, it's, it's, just, it's more of a matter of developing good treatments for, in like their specific cases, less so having like a broad, like cure for all of them. Cause they are, they are quite different across the landscape. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And we, and we do know like a pretty, the thing is that like, we, we do have a solid cure for most cancers. Uh, it's called mustard gas. <laughs> and <laughs> like, you're why, talking about like, like what they put in. Uh, like Nazis used against Jewish yeah, people. Yeah, that yeah, mustard gas was actually one of the first chemotherapeutics. Um, that's how we discovered like how to treat cancer, like using like drugs. Actually, oh shit, bro. Okay, continue with this. Just know I have something on the other end. <laughs> yeah. The um. So the reason why no no one wants to fuck with mustard gas is because like you die. Like sure. Mm-hmm. Like the, if you want a treatment, if you want to get rid of the cancer, like it's sort of a devil's deal that like you'll kill healthy things too. But, but what we really want are cures that will just kill the cancer and nothing else, right? And mm-hmm. that's just like 
has a way higher power. So um, I I wouldn't trust that the government is smart enough or like any sort of shareholder is smart enough to like develop any sort of like wide ranging cure, something like cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps, perhaps for like very specific kinds of cancers, um, there are probably things that have been discovered in the lab that just haven't been translated yet. Uh, I, was, I would put that as a higher likelihood. Okay. So we talked about conspiracies now, and we talked about, um, fuck, we talked about a lot of shit. I just have, <laughs> we did. I, I have, we talked about some things that are blowing my mind right now, right? And so we, we mentioned mustard gas. So do you know about the Nazi human experiments? I've, I've heard about them, and I, I came up in a conversation recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard about the, the twin studies um i've also heard about like some of like the anatomy stuff that came out of um yeah so the bone muscle and nerve transplantation experiments yeah yeah okay so in nine in august 1946 a survivor named jadwiga kaminsk all these goddamn names shit commit sorry to his memory i'm sorry uh kamin saka gave a deposition about her time in a place, a concentration camp, and describes how she was operated on twice. Both operations involved one of her legs, and although she never describes having any knowledge as to what exactly the procedure was, she explains that both times she was in extreme pain and developed a fever post-surgery. Yet, she was given little to no care. The, the woman describes being told that she had been operated on simply because she was a young girl and a Polish patriot. She describes how her leg oozed pus for months after the operations. Prisoners were also experimented on having their bone marrow injected with bacteria to study the effectiveness of new drugs being developed for use in the battlefields. Many prisoners left the camps with disfigurement that would last the rest of their lives. So, to my point, I'm not trying to um say i'm right but bro this is i'm sure there are people in america right now that are being experimented on for the benefit of science the nice way we package that is a clinical trial (laughs) (laughs) that's that's exactly what it is that is funny as fuck holy shit i never thought of it like that audience you are here, here, here first Okay, fuck. Continue. Yeah. Yeah, you are consenting to oftentimes receive a first in human like, you know, therapy and they're going to try their best to, you know, keep you alive and like monitor you and stuff like that, but really at the end of the day, once if the FDA decides that, you know, it's safe, then you know anything can happen really. Shit. In that case, you know, it's a pretty high bar. Like you have to like do a lot of like studies and animals and things like that. Mhm. Damn, bro. Damn, bro. You just blew my mind again, bro. Fuck. I'm at a loss for words. Hold on. Give me a second.
Mm-hmm. Ain't this some shit? All right. So, how do you alleviate the pressure that your signs like pressures you? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, what do you do to escape the the energy depletingness? <laughs> That's not even a word <laughs> of signs. You know what I'm saying? Of- yeah, yeah. I mean, I I try all kinds of things, man. But I I think uh, for the most important thing to me is that like my science is like it's a it's a job at the end of the day it, science the science i do is not who i am um it's, a, it's definitely a part of my identity but as when i think about like you know the value that i add to the world sure i'm gonna be a scientist i'll be a doctor etc cetera, etc cetera, but at the end of the day like i'm i'm still me right and the things that make me me are like music i really fuck with jazz music um listen to that shit like you know that's probably like the nine more than 90% of the music that I listen to. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's my way of like meditating and like interfacing with myself and my emotions and thinking about other people's emotions and like how they express themselves. Um, uh, yeah. So music is like, has always been an outlet for me and it's something that I probably think about music more than I think about science to be, to be honest, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Um, okay. So you, do you play an instrument as well? I do. I do. I, I play piano and drums. And a bunch of other random instruments. Those are my main two things. Um, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm pretty serious about like rhythm type shit. So like I, I grew up listening to gospel music. I'm not very religious myself, but that was just like what was listen, my parents listened to. So I always had like a decent ear for well, gospel rhythm and like jazz music. Um, so like things like hip hop, you know, funk, all that disco, all that stuff always made sense to me because I was like always always into rhythm. Um, and I would I would even go as far to say that rhythm is science itself. <clears throat> but um yeah so I, I i definitely think spend more time thinking about music than i do thinking about any time science that i do so i try to make sure that i feed that aspect of myself as much as i can because um, mm. it ke- helps me keep perspective on things um but yeah so like that's that's like my artistic side for sure mm. um yeah but basketball uh, video games um oh shit you be on the court huh okay let me find out you got a ball of life okay brooklyn bro (laughs) oh you know i just went to brooklyn i bought at the brooklyn bridge uh basketball courts so oh word oh yeah that shit is crazy people arguing people dunking on people no you weren't dunking on people let me stop gassing it but yeah it was (laughs) it was pretty lit bro i i I like brooklyn yeah brooklyn's (laughs) a pretty good ball city well for, for now We'll see how things change, but <laughs> which KD will definitely change your your whole facet. But yeah, yeah. so you you like yeah basketball. What else, bro? What else? You do? Yeah, basketball, video games. Um, yeah, I've I've always been an avid gamer. Uh, I used to in eighth like seventh eighth grade, I would like go to school, come home, turn on the Xbox, be on Halo, <laughs> Call of Duty, all that. Yep. Yep. And I that that part I mean never really died. So I play like a bunch of like indie games and things like that. I like I like I like puzzles. Puzzles like keep my brain going. Um, so I usually like mess with those kinds of games. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah, yeah. So I I try to I try to keep keep myself as grounded as possible because you know science can be really science can really try and right. <laughs> big facts, big facts. All right, so we, we talked about gaming just now. We talked about kidney disease. Let me see what you think about this. This AI doctor can predict active kidney conditions two days early. 
Researchers from Alphabet-owned company DeepMind say an AI can ingest a patient's medical history and predict with 90% accuracy whether they're going to need dialysis for acute kidney injury 48 hours before it occurs. And so currently we pick these things to be late and harm is caused to patients and we think there's a real opportunity for these AI systems to be able to predict and prevent rather than just current what currently happens, which is clinicians almost firefighting and running around problems that have already been developed, says DeepMind clinical lead Dominic King. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they tested their software. The team fed health data from more than 700,000 veterans of affairs hospital patients across the U.S., to their neural network. These results were promising, according to a paper about the research published Wednesday in the Journal of Nature. The system can tell doctors what piece of medical data tipped it off that kidney crisis was imminent. So what do you think about that? that? That's pretty dope. Yeah, that is is pretty dope. And I want to preface, um, it's not a preface, but I just want to say before you comment uh, that you know, these technologies are actually widespread, being widespreadly mass produced. So even at our, my own institution at UNC, they just developed a AI machine learning algorithm that's able to predict um, uh, breast ca- from breast cancer micrographs. And I'm, viewers, I hope you remember this because I mentioned this in another episode, but they're able to predict uh, with 85% accuracy that uh, that a, a breast cancer micrograph is, uh, or a micrograph rather, is indicative of someone having breast cancer. So they're able to predict if somebody can have breast cancer uh, from the micrographs alone. So the, these things are being widespread produced. But I'm curiously curious of how what you think about this type of research, bro. Yeah, I think the pretty much the the glaring question in AI and like honestly like. I feel like the average voter needs to start thinking about this shit too, because this is going to like, you know, change. It's going to have an impact on everybody's lives. Like, you know, very, very soon. Mm. But um, the most important uh, problem in AI, especially as applied to medicine is the training set. Right. So AI can only be as smart as a, the person who's like telling it, whether it's right or wrong. Um, And no, we might have some feelings about who those people are. (laughs) And uh, two, uh, how good or representative the data set is. So if the data is trash, that means all the conclusions are trash. Or the person who's grading the computer and whether it's right or wrong is trash, then so are all its conclusions going to be trash. So with things like, especially in the area of medicine, um, where we know for a fact that Black people, for example, are very like not very well represented in, in most clinical data sets, you always got to be skeptical about whether or not these uh, AI algorithms are not just reproducing the racism that you know their users or the data set has like intrinsically, um, and this will have like disproportionate outcomes on different people, uh, in like very real ways. Um, so I think so that's, that's that's always like one of the most important things for me when I look at AI stuff. Like if I look at this, um, if I look at this kidney acute kidney injury uh, data, I want to see like how representative it is actually of the population demographically, um, gender-wise, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually have a sense of whether or not the computer is actually not just like, you know, leaving like important pieces of data 
um, out in its conclusions because then it will just fail when applied to you know someone who's from a marginalized population. Wow, yeah, that's that's spot on, bro. Because what I did not tell you was that by while the system is speedy, it's way too trigger happy. It reported two false positives for every correctly identified kidney injury. Ooh, damn, that's bad. Which is basically <laughs> it's like fifty per. It's, that's like fifty fifty, right? Yeah, fifty like percent is gonna give you the right answer. No, it's actually worse than fifty fifty. That's thirty three percent. Yeah, that's really rough. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what they're talking about here, but you know, this this goes into a larger question of: Do you believe that AI can replace an actual doctor? And to me, the answer is no. Previously, I said yes on another episode, but you actually with that with your answer, you kind of changed my mind. Um, and you're you're only a second year medical student, right? Second year. <laughs> That's that's crazy, bro. That's yeah, honestly I, crazy. I think that like going back to what I said earlier about like medicine at the end of the day is about what can be done for the person. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, AI is all focused on you know diagnosis. It's not really focused on what can actually be done for the individual. Um, so I think people as physicians or what have you will still have a lot of value in that because that's at the end of the day is the only thing that really matters. Um, but as far as, um, you know, diagnostic um, superiority, maybe in some cases an AI might be better. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, like, you know, a computer that could read, like, pixel by pixel an X-ray and, like, th- like see shit that a human eye can't um, is, like, you know, worse than a person. Like, I'm not going to say that at all because, like, that's probably false. But mm-hmm. for, other, for other things... Um, my opinion is that if the technology doesn't change the course of clinical care for the individual, then it's a useless technology. It's just another way for somebody to make money um, at the cost of the, of the person's like, you know, sanity and health. Mm-hmm. So where, where can you see the overlap being? Because, you know, what if you, we had such a health structure where the doctor would look at, you know, the micrograph or what have you and make his or her diagnosis and then what if they, you know, put that through some sort of computational pipeline thereafter, and yeah, yeah. that 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 um, that same uh, algorithm, I guess, spit out something different, like, and then reported back to the doctor, like, oh, you should take a look at this again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's I think that's the move. Uh, to be honest, like some kind of for I personally don't think that um, I I do think that um, computers should replace uh all kinds of image processing right because Mm -hmm. images are are relatively simple um the way that a human being like processes an image is based on what they see right and a computer could surely see more things than a human can like pay attention to so i think as far as like like you mentioned like for like x-rays like mri ct scans things like that i'm 100 fine with a computer like doing most of that analysis um so like i think some kind of ideal pipeline would look like like a patient gets like a CT scan or MRI or X-ray, computer looks at it, does its analysis, hands it to like a technician or a physician or what have you. They look at it, make sure it's, it makes sense, hand it to the physician, and the physician like gives a thumbs up or thumbs down and decides like what to do for the patient. Um, mm. I think the value in that is that uh, computers could look at that stuff way faster and higher, um, like and like basically, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that could give doctors more time. Uh, and if doctors have more time, they can see more patients. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, everyone wins. Mm. That's, that's real as hell, bro. 
So yeah, I think we, we can't forget like what the purpose of technology is, which is to make life easier. That's how you need to be developing these things and like thinking about it. Mm. So you're at you're at the hub of all this tech development and everything. And so what, what in the classroom have they have they talked about this new sort of technology being implemented in new in future directions with you guys? Uh, not, not explicitly. Um, I think uh, there are a lot of like trials and clinical trials going on uh, with implementing these algorithms that could, you know, make these determinations. But at the, the at the current stage, it's still like very much still in the lab. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they're definitely not teaching it as like uh, any sort of like standard practice yet. Um, and I think, but I think it's something that we do have to think about because our generation is essentially the ones that will be benefiting the most from these technologies. So. Um, probably the, yeah probably the most important thing honestly is like one ethics 101 <laughs> that's, that's what that's what we all need to be honest because uh it's, it's easier to violate human rights if you know humans aren't the ones determining <laughs> the oh, outcome shit. of the individual yeah damn bro wow you just blew my mind again two minds blown in <laughs> one session I've got a million dollar question for you. Do have you experienced any microaggressions, any racial profiling, anything <laughs> of that nature? Um, because I asked you that because, you know, we're African Americans, we black as fuck. You know yep. what I'm saying? And yet we're still um actually I should have said this in reverse. We're still prospering, we're still working towards a degree advancement. Some of the things that we talk about our government and you know people we normally don't talk about it on an everyday day-to-day basis you know what i'm saying we talk about science you know and being african-american that's something that's often not happening you know not occurring yeah. and so when people see us in these spaces we can experience these microaggressions these um these racial tensions occur so have mm-hmm. you yourself, even at Stanford University, a premier and top of the line institution, have you uh, experienced things like that? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, no, 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 nowhere safe. <laughs> nowhere <laughs> is safe. Damn. So tell uh, me about that, bro. So in recent news, um, there was a a whole ass noose hanging from a tree about two weeks ago. Um, so this happened on a Friday. I think it happened on like July thirteenth or something like that. Um, uh, a visiting student found yeah found a noose hanging from a tree. She called the police. Uh, police didn't think it was that big of an emergency. Um, they, you know they took it down, and pretty much the black community here at Stanford didn't hear about it until the following Wednesday, when we woke up and we saw that shit on on CNN. <laughs> and we're just Damn. like, found out about a noose on my campus, and and not from the campus, so. There's there's been some organizing around that, and I also, I'm also there's a, a historically black medical student group um, called the Stanford Medical not Stanford Student National Medical Association, and I'm one of the co-presidents for that group. Um, so the there there's been like a whole lot of like uh, opportunities for people to be like very low key, high key racist concerning this because like when you monitor people's reactions to these things, some people are like, oh, like it's probably nothing, like no one's hanging from it it can't be that big of an issue right like mm. it's 2019 right <laughs> who, who, has the, 
who has to worry about being hung today? And meanwhile, I'm just like, people, you know, lynching is not just using a noose. Like you could, you could lynch somebody in many ways. Like my, yeah. my guy, Eric Garner was lynched for everybody to see, uh, for standing on a damn corner in New mm. York. Like that, that happened, bro. Yeah, you do not need a, a rope to do that. Right. Need, you know, see, we are, some we, I don't want to be, you know, brother Bonner, you know, <laughs> You know, standing on my soapbox. We need to unite, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, bro, this this shit didn't happen just... This shit just happened yesterday, bro. Like... Yep. It's, it, we're not that far removed. We're, we're not being physically noosed and lynched now. However, we are being institutionally lynched. You know what yep. I'm saying? We're being marginalized even at our own institutions. Yep, yep, yep. And we, we, we can't, and especially as, you know, me and you are scientists, so, like, we're all about the numbers and the data. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, 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 it's not to be taken lightly that there are just as many people who are, are either in prison or formerly incarcerated as there were slaves. Like, there, mm-hmm. we can't, we can't sleep on that. And this is still the same United States, right? Straight facts. Uh, like, we, we can't sleep on these numbers. And we can't, like, be blinded by the fact and like the you know the glamour and like the innovation that some of these universities have, um, these are institutions that are old and old institutions <laughs> were racist. <laughs> so uh, you gotta unless you know a place did, went to great lengths to deconstruct those things, you'll encounter them um, in some sort of serious way. And this and this can happen at many levels, right? Like so in my program, um, or at least in the biosciences, there are about one thousand graduate students, twenty four uh, of which them are, are black. So it's like, you know, is it that they don't want black people here or they don't accept them? You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what which one it is. The fact of the matter is that, you know, the less than, you know, 3% of the population here. Yeah. Um, which means that, you know, so on a, on a day-to-day, especially here at Stanford, I like to joke that I see more Teslas than black people on a day-to-day. Like, I'm dead ass. Like, Bro. On an average day, I see like 30 Teslas. <laughs> That's <laughs> why. Maybe like... Dude, that that shit is wild. One for two reasons. One, you should be proud as fuck that you goddamn see that that many Teslas get you done came (laughs) the fuck up, nigga. One, two, that has to push our race to the next level. If we're seeing more fucking Teslas than we are black people in medical and graduate school the fuck we need yeah. to get up there bro <laughs> yeah yeah we we need so, to get up there that shit's crazy bro yep that's something i hope that you look to change i hope that's something the graduate gang community looks to change mm-hmm. i hope that's something you know we all need like i hope we all recognize the disadvantage that we are at and i want us to come back stronger than ever you know so yeah man i'm yeah i'm with that all the way absolutely so graduate gang you heard from my mans quentin you heard from me we talked about kid needs we talked about goddamn japanese scientists making organs and shit we talked about this nigga's experience we even talked about 526 teeth bro what more do you want? Yeah, those are a lot of teeth. That's a lot of motherfucking teeth, bro. 
Um, Quentin, would you like to shout out anything, bro? Tell, tell talk to talk to the people real quick, bro. Nah, man, no. Do do today's work today, and make it easier for niggas coming up tomorrow. <laughs> that's big. That's yeah. That's that's why I try to remind myself every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what you know. Keep pushing. Um, and don't don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. Absolutely, words to live by, not to die by. Absolutely. Yep. So with that, graduate gang, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please show your mama. And if you don't show your mama, slap your motherfucking best friend. It's Xavier <laughs> Bonner in the house. Thank you. Good morning and good night. Bitch, you got me fucked up. Uh, bitch, you got me fucked up. Came with my old gang. Yeah. Okay. 20 of us fucked up. Uh, fuck you, me. You need to see I did. What you mean? You got me fucked up. Uh, oh man. Had her on her come and get me. Had her come and get me. Talking shit, you trying to start what? Uh, better have the models ready. Nah. Bitch, you got me fucked up. Uh, real. Bitch, you got me fucked up. Uh, bitch, you got me fucked up. Facts. No one saw me doing this. People can't decide how they're viewing this. I don't know. Cheryl wouldn't do this shit. Say, uh, bitch, you got me fucked up. Uh, she keeps acting like she's trying to fuck. Uh, Took her home just to find out what? Uh, fuck you mean? It's that time of month.